Sometimes, when I get really nervous, I play the tambourine. <laughs> Hi, welcome to the Movie Butts Podcast. I'm Joseph. I'm Dane. And uh, we're basically, I should probably stop playing the tambourine now. Give me just a second. I've just got to get it out of my system. If you need it to help you calm down, I understand. Uh, it's just its just so overwhelming. Uh, anyway, uh, so basically, we're the Movie Butts Podcast, where we... Uh, Basically do a bunch of math and we determine the best and worst of a certain topic and watch the best and the worst. Um, This week we decided, or I decided, just to be a bit different, to watch the best and the worst of the 84th Academy Awards. Uh, What films did we watch this week, Dane? We watched incredibly... wait. uh, Extremely loud and incredibly close. That's it, right? Yeah. And we watched The Artist, which was the winner. The seminal the seminal hit, The Artist. Uh, yeah. the, the film that a lot of people saw, I guess, maybe? I don't know. Yeah, it took the world by storm, and uh, now it's been completely forgotten. Yeah, totally just dropped off the face of the planet. Uh, very similar to the director, what's his name? Um, Mikhail Hazamarakis. I don't know, I can't pronounce it, but he hasn't done anything since. Really? Yeah. Well, by anything, I mean, I think he did one film that was over-budgeted and didn't do anything. And before The Artist, he made a couple of, like, James Bond spoof movies. So this film really came out of nowhere. And he's an Academy Award winning director now. And he's just sitting out there, you know, and no one knows who the fuck this cunt is. Like, you know, very interesting stuff. As for the math this week, um, it was quite hard. Um, It was... It didn't take me long to, dis- to to figure out which was the worst. Um, critically and commercially, extremely loud and incredibly close is very underwhelming. So it's a bit peculiar as to why it was even nominated. But um, for best, uh, it was pretty tight between um, uh, the artist and the help. Um, yeah, so I had to I had to basically uh, add another layer to the uh to the other to the math to determine what was the winner and basically what i did was i i had to calculate also the amount of accolades it won uh the artist has won over a hundred awards internationally a hundred which is uh a fuck ton (laughs) you know i wouldn't even know that there's a hundred awards to win there's so many there's so many stupid awards with stupid names i figured this out by entering films in festivals but um, the, I can, I can say right now that it won a hundred major awards. I don't know what that means, but, um, but yeah, so, uh, well, uh, I think we should probably start with the best. I think that's what we've been doing. Haven't we, Dane? Uh, yeah, I think so. Yeah. So, uh, what's the, uh, DVD? Actually, you know what? You've got this on DVD, don't you, Dane? Yeah, but I couldn't find it. Oh, okay. So. Okay. <laughs> I was going to say, you should read the DVD jacket. I remember uh, buying it, and that's when I watched it, because yeah. it was on special or something, and I was like, oh, okay, cool. I heard about this. Um, yeah, it's. Uh, I, I think it, it, it literally is one of those films that's pops up. It's like, it's like Michael Buble. Like, he pops out at Christmas time. This is the kind of film that just pops up in, like, November, or you know, or like something very close to the um, to the Academy Awards, you know, and then somehow gets nominated. Anyway, Dane, do you think you could uh, give us a plot synopsis of the uh, seminal movie, The Artist? Yeah. So the Artist is a silent film, um, mostly silent. It's pretty much a silent movie, uh, shot in black and white. The whole thing is played out like a uh, silent movie of that era um and it's about this guy who's the biggest artist in the world he's he's the biggest actor in the world he's like the uh the the star of the of all movies you know what i'm talking about and um he's at the peak of his career and there's a there's a woman who is just starting out her career um and she's in a few small roles at the beginning <clears throat> and then the talkies come in. They, they, they get sound for cinema. 
and uh, that just shakes this guy's world up. Nobody wants him anymore. And this woman rises to stardom and she becomes the biggest star in the world. And she's like the star of all the, the talkies. And he falls into depression and has to sell all his shit because no one wants him anymore. But there's a bit of a love story between these two. They keep bumping into one another and she idolizes him and he loves her. And it's, it's a pretty, it's a melodrama and it's, it's all right. Mm. So, uh, overall, what did you, uh, what were your opinions on the artist? It, it kind of sucks. Um, it's, it's, it's kind of good though. I mean, it's weird because, um, it's, it, it's kind of fun watching a movie like this. And there's time, there's plenty of moments where you're like, oh, sick. Yeah. This really feels like I'm watching a movie from that era. Uh, neat, I guess. The story's the story's all right. It's pretty interesting, but this shit goes for way too long. Should be like seventy minutes long. Mm, mm. I, I I don't know. I um I I think you you pretty well hit the nail on the head there. It's for me, it was a movie of moments. Like there are just occasional moments of like greatness, but I don't know. I found the overall film to be quite lackluster. Um, I don't know, just particularly the music. I don't know. I don't know if the music annoyed you like it annoyed me, but I would, would have much preferred this film if it didn't have such repetitive score over fucking everything. The moment, the moment for me, the moments of pure silence were the moments that I was really wrapped up in most of the time. I don't know. It felt, it just felt, uh, I don't know, contrived and. Just, just lazy. Like it felt like it felt like someone recorded music and then put it over it, and yeah. and it wasn't actually meant for it. And I don't know. It's, this film's really weird. I don't think he does the best job of actually making a silent movie. No. If you watch films of that era, <clears throat> the performances are much more uh, outlandish or, or whatever. Because, you know, they have to be to get the emotion across. Sure. And he's using a bunch of modern day actors who I think had a really hard time adjusting. doing that. Yeah, adjusting to that. Yeah. I mean, it's kind of like when wrestlers have to then act in movies because they're used to being really over the top and then they have to tone it down. Mm. And, uh, you know, a modern day cinema actor has to, who's going to be in a silent film. It's like, you got to really study how they did it back then and, and try to try to do that. Mm. And they, they felt, especially John Goodman, who only had a few moments where it's, it was like, he was being quite derivative of films of that era. Uh, like where he's just puts his fists on his hips and has a big pouty face. But other than that, he's just acting like he would in any other movie. And it's like, no, can't. But, you know, I'll put that on the director. James James Cromwell, the uh, the guy that played the driver. I read an interview with him where he said that he was actually speaking lines and he treated the film exactly like he would treat any other movie. Yeah. And I don't know if that that's a good thing. Like to me, that to me, that screams that the director didn't really uh, put the forth the right kind of attitude on set with a lot of them. I don't know that, that to me, I could see that. I could see that with a lot of the acting and I don't know. I think this is a film that I think got incredibly lucky. And I think this film was incredible, like almost entirely made in post-production. I I think it got lucky. Like this won the Oscar because uh, all the members of the Academy are like a hundred years old and they were probably nostalgic for silent movies. Mm, mm. They're like, Oh, that really takes me back to the time before the talkies. And so they, (laughs) they enjoyed it and and it won because of that. It's not a very good movie. It's interesting to watch because it's like, well, that's ballsy to make a, a silent movie now, but it could have been, it could have been really cool. I remember the first time I, I watched the film, I'd know, I I knew nothing about it. Mm. Uh, obviously, because all the trailers at that time had a really hard time making this, you know, really showing what happens in the film because it's a silent black and white movie. Mm. So I really didn't know what to expect. I just knew that everyone was like, well, the artist, beautiful, uh, prestigious movie. 
So I watched it and you know the bit where he has just seen the talky thing and he's like, what? This is absurd. And then he goes to his dressing room and knocks some shit over and it makes a noise and he's like, what the fuck? And then the dog's barking and he's like, what the fuck? And sound starts to come into his world. Um, and then it, he wakes up and it was a nightmare. Mm. Um, <clears throat> I remember when I was watching that scene, I was thinking, oh, I see what they're going to do here. Like as the talkies are coming into the world, the, the sound is going to start to come into this film. Basically a Pleasantville ripoff sort of thing. Yeah, and then as color starts to come in, his world is going to start to turn to color. And as he gr- and then by the end of the film, and he's old, it's going to look like a, you know a, a a colored film with sound and stuff, or you know something like that. I didn't really, but I was like, oh, okay, I think that's what they're going for. That's but a then he, better but idea. Then he, yeah, but then he wakes up and it's still a silent movie. And I was like, oh, you should have done that other thing. That would have been interesting. Mm. If I, this was, was if this was directed by Michel Gondry, I think that would have happened. And I would have much preferred to watch that. Oh, I, I agree completely. I don't know. Th- I think this film uh, didn't commit enough. Like it was trying to do two things at once. It was trying to uh, put a put a put a mirror up to. Um, silent films and kind of subvert it. I think it was trying to do that a little bit, especially mm. by having a kind of meta narrative in the sense that it's about a f- like a, an actor and a filmmaker, and also yeah. be a, a, a kind-hearted love letter to it. And honestly, it tries both, and as a result, I think it kind of falls short on both ends. It seemed very derivative. It didn't seem like they were taking it in a new direction, but because it was about an actor and because it was about a uh, uh, a filmmaker sort of thing. I thought it was too self-conscious and self-aware uh, for its own well-being, to be honest. And I don't know, like uh, reading reading about, I I, re- I think I've read about this one more than I've read about any other of the films we've watched, just because I'm 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 perplexed as to why it won. Why, like I, I know why it won, but I, I want to know more why it won. You know, and uh, I found out it was originally shot in color. And um, so that was an accident. Uh, clearly, they l- later on decided to put it in black and white, which makes no fucking sense because if it's a set in the silent era and in that time, it had to have been in black and white. So I am 110% convinced that this film was made in post-production. You know, I think I think it's just pure dumb luck that they ended up with a, a fucking silent black and white movie. You know, I think... I, don't, I think it was, almost, I mean, I read an interview with the dude and he was saying that he wanted to shoot a silent movie. Mm. Um, I, I think that it was probably always meant to be silent. Mm. Um, I'd, I'd believe that. I would believe also that they shot it in color in the first place because I thought the black and white kind of looks a little bit shitty. It looks shit. It does. It's not contrasty. It's all, I know, I know like. It's like gray. It's, it's not t- a real nice black and white. No. And like, honestly, I know like a lot of black and white movies back in the day were very uh, overexposed in the sense that there weren't, it wasn't as dynamic, but this mm. is still made in fucking 2010, 2011 or whatever. Um, try and make it look pretty, like, you make know, it look like Ed Wood. Yeah. Make it look like Ed Wood. Make it look different. That's beautiful black and white. Yeah. It's shot for black and white. Yeah. This looks gray as fuck. And it's, um, it's a pretty ugly movie and any, any good shots are shots that he's ripped off from classic silent films. Like yeah. the, you know, all those staircases in the library, mm, mm. stuff like that. The rest of it, um, Oh, there is the one good thing where he's, um, you know, it, it has the Dutch angle on, on his face as he's looking at his reflection and then it turns around. And, I mean, the camera goes around behind his head and then he pours the water on his own reflection. And mm. then it, that, that's a, that was a beautiful little shot. And, and there's a, a few moments like that mm. uh, that really stand out that make you think, that you give it points because it's like, yeah, this was a good idea. You you won an Oscar because you had a good idea, mm, mm. Um, and it's executed kind of shitty. I, I think it was executed kind of shitty, and I think that it was put together in post really well. That's t- again, I'm 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 sticking to my guns by that. I just think honestly that the output from this guy. 
Um, the, all these little details that I hear about things becoming lucky. I don't know. It just seemed this is mm. this. It's 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 almost it's a hack film. You know, <laughs> it's a fucking hack film. You know. Yeah. Um, yeah. I again don't. I didn't hate watching it. I I, I found it neat. And I yeah, don't think I ne- think that's the best way to sum it up. It's neat. Yeah, I don't I don't think describing a film as neat is uh, probably the best thing to do. I think the I, I, I quite liked the performance of both the actors. Um, I you know the the guy's charming and there was something off about the the lady, but she just seemed uncomfortable. But I kind of liked that, you know. Um, especially, I thought if- she was a bit flat. Yeah, I, I don't know. I, I, I liked him. I thought he was quite good. In fact, maybe perfect for the part. And for her, I was like, I wanted to see a bit more of um, a believable starlet. You know what I mean? Mm, mm. Uh, like, she just kind of looked the part, but was a bit... Uh, wasn't as... um Like, he was the only dude who seemed to know how to act like it was a silent film. Mm, mm. Like, yeah, I, like he looked very much straight out of um, a, the silent era, you know? Yeah. Um, he literally, you could put him next to Clark Gable or whatever, and you'd be like, yeah, they, they've starred in a film together before. Um, I don't know. I think it's because she is a talking actress. I think that um, her looking uncomfortable in a silent film, for me, made kind of sense because she's meant to represent the people that aren't from that generation. You know, she isn't of a pantomime thing. I don't know. Oh, that's, yeah. that's why I think, that's why I think that's the fair. whole, you can own that. that. That's why I think the whole having their thumb in two pies, being a meta narrative about the silent era and also being a silent film, honestly, in the end, cut it a bit short. Uh, I don't know. I, I, it just, it, just, just commit to something. And even, even the references to silent films, seemed really surface level to me like mm. not really like i don't know it's just well it was like references to silent films that i understand and i'm not a fucking silent film junkie yeah yeah, yeah. so it had me questioning exactly how much research this guy did that's what made me think it wasn't a silent film to begin with that's what makes me think that it's just surely it was. Oh yeah, yeah, but come on, why did they shoot it in cover? Because he's a dickhead. No, because he's a because he, he's not a. I don't know. He's not a dickhead. I think that's a bit far. He's a, he's, <laughs> he's he's not that smart. <laughs> okay. You know, or he doesn't realize. Like again, I can talk from personal experience. I have in the past not exactly known what I had when I was trying to make a film until later. So I'd be a hypocrite if I said that. I don't understand, but you're making a movie in the silent era set in fucking what? 27 or something. What year was it? Fucking yeah. Like, and, and you're shooting it in color. Like, come on. Yeah. Like know what you're doing. So I don't know. It just seems like it's all a happy accident. I give a lot of credit to the editor more than anyone in this film. Um, yeah. Uh, what, what was your favorite scene from this film? Mm. shit i don't know i mean i i I like when he um uh tries to kill himself Mm. um just because um that went a bit wild i was more laughing about it Mm. because i was like this is a bit of a stretch that he just does this but you know whatever it's a melodrama the, the film but more more like when he 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 comes to and he's in her house and it's after he's sold all of his shit and he goes into one of the rooms in her big house and all of his shit is in there mm. and then he freaks out and runs away and tries to shoot himself um i really enjoyed that part not because it was any good but because i just thought it was so ludicrous Hmm. And uh, it made me laugh. Is that the point? I can't remember. Is that the point in the film where they started using fucking Hitchcock music? There was a point. Yeah. yeah there was a point in there where they just started using the Vertigo theme. And I'm kind of... And that it, that made me laugh because not only was I not happy with the music they were using, then they tried to 
fucking emotionally manipulate me by pay- playing music from one of my favorite films kind of kind of just made me laugh like it felt yeah it kind of sums it up though doesn't it yeah like, like you why would you put that in there i don't get it i don't understand i mean they they had the rights to use it and because uh, i read a bit about that and then the guy's like well you know it's music and it's meant to make you feel a certain way and that's one of the best scores ever to elicit that feeling so we just wanted to use it I'm like, yeah, but it's iconic. In when people hear it, they're gonna think of Vertigo. It'd be like if I fucking borrowed the Jaws theme for my thriller, and it's like, mm. well, you know, it's music that's meant to elicit a feeling. But it's like, yeah, but if you use it in something else, it's gonna make people think of a different thing. The um, there's a uh, movie called Obsession made by Brian De Palma, and he got Bernard Herrmann, the dude that did the Vertigo music, to do his film, right? And he and he sat him down in an editing booth, and he threw music um, over the film from Vertigo because he's like, "Oh, I want to have music over there to show him the film and everything." And um, anyway, he sits down and he starts watching Obsession, the movie that he's about to do the score for, and he hears the fucking Vertigo theme, and he's like, "Stop! Stop! Why I can't hear this and watch this? You know, like <laughs> it and." Honestly, that's kind of what I was feeling with this. I'm like, no, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not falling for this. I'm not, I'm not going to let you get away with it. This, this isn't, first of all, that's also not the same era. Like if it was somehow music from a film around that time, again, Mm. the self-referential, self-aware nature that it was maybe pretending to do, I could have got, you know, got into but it was from a, a movie from 58 or 57. Like it just, it had no reason to be in there other than to um, manipulate me into having a, a, this response, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It's decisions like that, that, you know, do make you feel like the director is kind of a hack mm. who has good, who has good ideas and there's good moments. And then there's decisions like that. And there's, they're, they're littered throughout the film and there's more of those than there are, good moments Mm. but they're just more bizarre choices Mm. like Mm. how often a scene will just like linger on after you've made your point and it's like first of all if you're making a melodrama then you don't spend a lot of time with the characters they do their thing they say their thing and you're out of there it's Mm. meant to be it's meant to be quite uh you know cut and dry because uh, otherwise, if they linger around and talk more about their feelings, it's boring because it's a melodrama. They're deliberately one dimensional without dialogue. Yeah. And it's a silent movie. You've got so to... we're just watching people wander around a house in silence, repeating shit that they just said. And it's like, why didn't you cut this scene in half? It's decisions like that that just fucking baffle me. Mm. I, I thinking about what I like the most, honestly the lighthearted bits I liked that when it was lighthearted, that was when I felt most um, enjoyment out of the film. Like the first 10 minutes specifically, I think were my favorite before yeah, it like really gets into funny. the drama, you know, the things with the dog are funny. Yeah. The dog's adorable. You know? The dog. And, and then, you know, every now and again, they do like a little dance. Yeah. Like when, when the, <laughs> I liked that stuff, when the thing was coming up and he saw a feet and they have a little dance off. Like that's cute, you know. Yeah, I wanted, that's a good I wanted scene. more of that. Um, and to that's kind a of... good scene, but again, it goes on for just too long. It's not, it's not tight enough. You know no, what I mean? No. So why can you can you sum up why a hundred and ten percent, hundred and ten percent why this film is the uh, best film of two thousand and ten? Yeah, I said it before because all these ninety-year-olds are nostalgic for, for this era of shit. Yeah, and uh, you know, also anything that is about how magical Hollywood is always earns extra points mm. with the Academy. Honestly, there was a I, there's a there was a better film made the exact same year about the exact same thing that was nominated that didn't win, and that's Hugo. Like I think Hugo does this better romanticizing fucking hollywood than right. the artist I haven't does seen, i haven't seen hugo oh you've... which is which is weird because you said hugo does the artist better than the artist yeah but i was reading stuff about incredibly obnoxious and dumb shit movie 
uh, and they were saying that that movie is doing what Hugo does. I know. I, I was just about to bring this up. That, I haven't seen Hugo. I don't know what that movie's about. Hugo Hugo is the artist fucking extremely unincredibly close, but made by Scorsese. Oh, okay. Sick. Yeah. It uh, literally, it's, it was bizarre. I, I got a really uncanny feeling when I started watching extremely Un- and incredibly close. Cause of mm. course Hugo has been on my mind cause I was hoping that it would win. Um, just because it's, you know, a superior film. Mm. Um, but it didn't, um, from the, have you, if uh, I'm going to read the, uh, the nominees from best picture and from the ones you've seen, I'd love to know what you think should have been, um, best picture. So there was the artist, the descendants, extremely loud and incredibly close, the help Hugo, midnight in Paris, Moneyball, the tree of life and Warhorse. of those films. Uh, which would you have picked to be best film? Oh, well, there's a few in there that I haven't seen, but uh, my favorite of all the ones that I have, I've, I've seen most of them. Uh, my favorite of all those is um, Midnight in Paris. Oh, yeah, because you're a bit of a Woody Allen shill. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Um, well, I, I, yeah, I like, I'm very, yeah, I do like Woody Allen a lot, but I'm very critical of him. Most of his movies I don't like. In fact, I hate them, but, um, Midnight in Paris is terrific. I love Midnight in Paris. Yeah. It's such a good, and that's another, um, example of if you're going to give credit for just a good idea, that, that movie is a terrific idea. Yeah, definitely. And it's, and it's executed really well. Mm. that's one of those movies where he's stumbled into that it's kind of like um he's one with uh cap what 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 the fuck is that movie called blue Blue jasmine blue jasmine yeah blue jasmine like that's another one of those like oh you got a really good idea and you executed it really he has the opposite um uh he has the opposite approach and uh, reason for being successful to Mikel Hazanavikis because this guy makes one movie like miraculously that's you know hacky as shit but wins everything and then doesn't do anything else whereas fucking Woody Allen is churning something out sometimes two things a year and every now and then one sticks you know like it's just the complete opposite work ethic yeah, yeah. Um, for me, the two that I liked the most from this year was I liked The Descendants a lot. Um, I'm a big fan of uh, Alexander Payne. His movies um, are some of my favorites. And Hugo, because Hugo is just really adorable, you know? Um, yeah, I haven't seen either of them. Mm, worth Both worth watching. Um, anyway, uh, I think it's probably time we talk about uh, the worst uh, Best Picture nomination. Okay. Uh, so Dane, um, sorry, I'm just this. I just have this really weird feeling just creeping up, and I need to, you know, shake my tambourine. Whew. Okay. Okay, I'm feeling better now. Uh, I think it's about time you could uh, you should give us a bit of a plot synopsis for the extremely loud and incredibly close. Can I just say I love how that kid in the movie is like uh loud noises scare me so to calm himself he shakes a tambourine next to his head yeah i know it i i it it, uh like isn't that annoying i'd find that incredibly annoying can you not question the logic of this beautiful piece of cinema dane (laughs) give it the respect it wanted us to give it you know so yeah the respect it was so desperate for um, so extremely loud and incredibly close is about, I'll try to do this seriously. It's about a boy whose dad dies in nine 11 and he's Hollywood autistic and he, um, his dad is a psycho who makes him go on scavenger hunts for things that don't exist. And, uh, after he dies, he finds a, a, a key hidden in a vase and he thinks his dad has, left a message for him he's got to find the lock that fits the key and it's somewhere in new york city and it says black on it then he just looks for everyone but with the surname black 
and he goes around and talks to these people and then he learns a bit about that everyone has problems and then there's a grandpa who he doesn't know is his grandpa and he was in Auschwitz or something and and then I don't know it it's like um PS I love you but with 911 mm. and and, inst- and instead of a a man and a woman it's a grown man and a little boy <laughs> <laughs> so uh what did you think of uh extremely loud and incredibly close oh dude i hated this movie so fucking much it made me angry this one of the worst movies i've ever seen i hated the shit out of this how like props for managing to exploit both 9-11 and the holocaust through the image of a mentally challenged child that's the trifecta. That's that is an Academy Award nomination just in a nutshell. Those three yeah, things. Th- that's why I think it got nominated because the Academy just fell for their own shit that they were like, okay, we don't like this movie. Nobody likes this movie. It's making no money, but we have to vote for it because they they just I think they just addicted to voting for things like that. This is so the, this is the kind of film that me and you would get stoned and ironically try and write an Oscar bait movie. This is the shit we'd come up with. I swear to God, you know. It does feel like that. It really does feel like that. It's it's honestly an insult to everyone involved, like the cast. You know, uh, if you step back and look at a lot of the actors in this film, they're pretty good. You know, they're, they're people that have respect, that have been in good things. And yeah, Tom Hanks is in it. Tom Hanks is in the movie. And, oh, fuck, sorry. We, we've got to get... It's not a trifecta. It's a, it's a fucking four-way fuck to get an Oscar. 9-11, Asperger's, fucking The Holocaust, and Tom Hanks. Yeah. Those four things guarantee Oscar nominations. <laughs> yeah. Like, I don't know, like, I don't understand why Sandra Bullock's in this film. She is barely in it. Um, she has I nothing to do. I think because Julia Roberts wouldn't do it. And they were like, who else is like Julia Roberts? Like, let's just get back up Julia Roberts, which is Sandra Bullock. Yeah, but like she must have read the script and realized she hadn't any, she had nothing to do in the film, you know. Yeah, but she thought it was gonna win an Oscar. Mm. I think I think the year after this, I think she won an Oscar for another Oscar bait film. <laughs> so yeah, I think she was just hunting for that gold, you know. Um, yeah. Honestly, I. I'm even more annoyed by the fact that they don't actually commit to him having Asperger's. Like, I think at one point he says, oh, I didn't have enough symptoms, like, to classify. Why? Yeah. Why put that in there? Why not just have someone who... I think I think the reason is, is because they don't talk about it in the book. He just acts like that. And then in the movie, they were like, well, we have to address it if we want to get an Oscar tick. No, but they don't address it. They... They negatively address it. They they basically yeah, put says, it to I rest. Yeah, he says I got tested for Asperger's and it came up. Um, yeah, not sure or whatever. But like incon- inconclusive. Tom Hanks is top build in this film, and so is Sandra Bullock. They're literally on the top of the fucking poster. And mm. how much how much screen time do you think they have between them in this film? Tom Hanks is in it about as much as Anthony Hopkins is in Silence of the Lambs, maybe less. Mm. And uh, Sandra Bullock, you could almost classify it as a cameo. Mm. Mm. But I guarantee they got this film made, I guess, just because as soon as they signed on, the film started to get made. Also, oh, fuck, you two did the music. <laughs> <laughs> I noticed in the trailer a U2 song played and I'm like, I'm going to fucking hate this. This is going to suck. Um, it- Did you find that the film felt like um, almost like a fairy tale? It, like it was trying to be a fairy tale, maybe? Uh, I felt like it was trying to 
be a realistic film. Mm. I mean, the reason I, I the reason it has that effect is because it it's it's written by a delusional, uh, spoilt psychopath who has all all who's just like trying to emotionally blackmail people. I just imagine that cunt who wrote this book like thought of the idea and was like, oh yes, baby, hit the jackpot. People won't be able to help themselves, but get emotional over this. I got 9-11. I got the Holocaust. I got a fucking disabled kid. I got, uh, yeah, all, all, all that. And I'm going to link them together in the story about this fucking dead dad, this is fucking kid's dead dad. Mm. It's honestly fucked up. <laughs> it's, it's sick. This film made me realize that, uh, there are a lot of actors that are overpaid because the budget for this film is $40 million. And I can't tell you why. Where was the money spent in this fucking film? Apart from, a couple of really dumb CGI moments where you see Tom Hanks falling from the building, you know, like, <laughs> like, like, why, why is that in there? Why, why, why is that in the film? Oh, oh, oh. there's some like if you honestly, if you're looking to watch something and get a good laugh out of it, like it is, it is very close to being uh so bad. Oh, it's good. There's a bit. It's very funny. At there's a bit where he's hiding in a little hidey hole and he's picking at his skin, crying like going, <laughs> uh, uh, uh. And then, like I could, I was just, I started losing my absolute shit. You know, like I'm like, what am I watching right now? What is this? It's a bit. The bit where he's um he's got a printed out picture of the guy leaping out of the tower, yeah. like zoomed in and being like, "Do you think that's my dad?" <laughs> it's just it's it it wasn't meant to be funny. Like it wasn't. It, it's just so like honest to goodness shameless this is it's no, such yeah a but you can film. laugh at it because it's clear that whoever wrote this piece of shit doesn't care about any of these tragedies or the victims of them at all no it's pure exploitation i feel sorry for the child actor um yeah he doesn't have a career he doesn't even have a link on wikipedia so he's forever going to be known as Aspie Kid in that shit film. Mm. Like, that's going to be him forever, you know? Yeah, the only, thing, the only thing that stopped me from getting really super mad about this movie is that it was smashed by critics and no one went and saw it and everyone thinks it sucks. Yeah, but... So I'm like, okay, cool. Well, at least it's not overrated. It's not like some of these movies where I'm like, oh, God, I hate that. Why does everyone love it so much? Was this film produced by the Weinstein Company? Do you know if that... One of these two I didn't was. Check. Either The Artist or Extremely Loud and Incredibly Close was. I can't remember which one yeah. was a Weinstein movie. and on And that makes sense to me because... They were re they're really good at blackmailing people into making into winning Oscars, um, so that's some some shady shit has gone on to get this film nominated. And I it's something like that. It's it's clearly made with the intention of this is going to win an Oscar. Yeah, like whoever pur purchased the rights for the book was like, okay, cool, I'm going to buy an Oscar. And I definitely think that Tom Hanks was talked into doing it. Julia, uh, Sandra Bullock was talked into doing it. Anyone involved, it was like, yeah, but this movie's going to win the Oscar. It's at least going to be nominated. And th there was money under the table. There had to have been. What? All the Academy is just so stupid. And at this point, they've made up these rules for themselves where they feel like they have to uh, nominate a movie like this. I, because it just has all those Oscar bait ticks. Shit like this makes me think that some movies are even nominated for Academy Awards without people even fucking seeing it. You know, like if yeah. I if I had told you, um, oh, it's based on a best-selling novel. Oh, it's got these people in it. Oh, it's about this. Um, mm. 
you'd be like, oh yeah, of course that's gonna, that's of course that's an Oscar film. That's something that gets nominated for an Oscar. Yeah, I'd think it would probably win. Yeah, too. I'm surprised. Like, th- there's part of me that's surprised this didn't win, just simply because of how well it, it got. It got shit on. Everyone took a dump on it. But I've seen movies like this win before. Last Academy Awards, the movie that won fucking Green Book was as insulting as this film. You know? Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, I think that's probably it. What's the? They have these predetermined notions of what is going to win and so they just vote for it even if they haven't seen it they're like well we have to nominate it what's the what's the what's the best part of this film oh shit um i mean at the point where i realized that they tied the holocaust into it um i i felt i felt uh, this sense of freedom because i was trying to get into the film i was trying to give it a chance and then once they tie the holocaust into it it was like i don't have to even try to take this seriously i see what you're doing and it's a joke and i laughed my ass off and that was a really good feeling okay so you're saying in terms of anything genuinely good Zero. There is nothing good about nothing this movie. Nothing good. Uh, I, I, I've got to. I've got to try and think of something. Uh, Von Sido, the guy that played the grandpa. Um, he's always everything I've seen him in. He's good, and probably if he did speak, he wouldn't have been. But I don't know. I like looking at the old guy. So maybe, maybe him. Maybe I can give him a bit of credit. Um, the the child actor was insufferable. To be honest, yeah, terrible. I, I think I don't think I've hated a protagonist more than I've hated that kid. I don't hate children, and I don't like saying that I hate children, but I hate this child. Yeah, I would hit this kid. Yeah, <laughs> with a tambourine like right over. Yes, yeah, smash his tambourine. Smash his tambourine. Head. Yeah, it's just, it's just, it's a box ticking film. Every mm. part of it is a box ticking film. You two did the music. They are a box ticking band. You yeah. Know? Um, yeah. Yeah. It's, it's and it's and it's really hard to describe exactly why it is so insufferable. You, I would recommend that people see it as a uh, just to do it, kind of like go. You know, it's go go skydiving, go and watch um, incredibly loud and whatever, because it is it is an experience. It's one of the strangest movies I've ever seen because um, you can't really quite figure out why they thought it was a good idea except that they were just so cocksure that it was gonna get nominated for an oscar and they were right it's the it's an awfully cynical movie Mm. Mm. the uh do you think the hackery came from the film or do you think the hackery comes all the way from the book yeah i haven't read the book but i mean if it's about the same thing, then the book sucks. And you, <clears throat> it reminded me of, because I've, I've seen a couple of those uh, Nicholas Sparks uh, adaptations. Oh, yeah. And they all feel the same and it felt like that. So it has that, it has that vibe of like a real trashy em- emotional novel. You know what I mean? Like, mm. the, like, like P.S. I love you and the notebook and shit like that. Mm, mm. Um, it has, it, it feels a lot like that. Like, like everything is sort of like a fantasy where there's nothing, nothing, nothing resemble the only things that resemble the real world, but nothing, it doesn't, it doesn't react the same way as the real world does. Everything's a played down fantasy version of the real world. So I, um, I've, I, I found a bit of writing on the, uh, on the book. Um, the New Yorker found the novel to be thinner, overextended, and sentimentally watery. Yeah. Compared to his first novel, the book's hyperactive visual surface covers up a certain hollow monotony in its verbal drama. Yeah, so the book just sucks, by the sounds of it. Um, yeah, it's... I don't know, it's just so shameless. Like... Like, uh, did, did you ever see the... What was the... Was it... 
P.S. I love you. The the other you you mentioned it before. There's that other nine eleven movie that's not a nine eleven movie. Um, mm. What's it called? Is that the one with Robert Pattinson? Robert Pattinson. Yeah, that one. And he ends up just dying in nine eleven at the end. Yeah, that has nothing to do with the story. I think this film and book almost could have worked. It or well, not not worked as in being good, but. That it doesn't need, it doesn't actually hinge on 9-11, the story. You know, have have a child, lose a parent, and mm. then, um, you know, be Aspie and run around the city with Max von Sydow. Like, you can have that without 9-11, you know? But even, but yeah, exactly. But even then, the story about the dad leaving a, a key for mm. him so that he could go on this adventure... Mm. That's fucked up. That's a that's that's child abuse. But he didn't. That's the thing. You know, he didn't. The kid just found it and assumed that that's what he was doing. Yeah, but he finds that note at the end. No, but that had to do with the fucking um that had to do with the 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 sixth burrow or whatever. What Okay, fine. Okay, fine. But even then, Tom Hanks uh does this shit to him all the time. He's trolling his son. He's fucking... He's fucking... Yeah, he just fucking, trolls he's his, like, he just trolls his autistic son got, his whole life. He, oh, he's disabled? Oh, we, I, I can fuck with him. I can just tell him lies and he'll believe it. Um, yeah, and I mean, I think the film is trying to, like, say, like, oh, he's trying to teach him skills and um, that, you know, it's about the journey, not the destination, and it doesn't even matter if the destination exists. It's like, yeah, but uh, he's a kid and he doesn't understand that. And uh, what's going to happen to him uh, if one day you die and he's just left with this shit? Yeah. Oh, this is going to happen. He's going to start skipping school and yelling at his mom and go running around searching for things that don't exist. And even if he didn't die, one day the kid's going to find out that his dad is a fucking liar (laughs) and he's not going to trust anyone. Yeah, it's all he's learning is to not trust authority, you know? Yeah, he's not to, to like not trust anything ever and it's like you know my dad was lying to me my whole life every single fucking thing he said and then if he's like well i was just trying to teach you uh that you know having skills are important and it's not about the you know the the end destination it's about the journey it's like well just say that yeah or like just say that stop baiting me into going on these fake treasure hunts you fucking psycho yeah it's it yeah it's the, the theme, like, it's the theme um, of, like, a, a kid trying to uh, get over his fears. I don't know, like, what, 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 what's the theme of this? What was meant to be the theme? Because the whole fucking fucked up dad who's messing with him really, really hurts my brain in relation to it. What's the theme of this film? Nothing. It's just kitschy fantasy bullshit written by some fucking cunt who was raised by maids and never knew his dad, but thought his dad was the greatest guy on earth. And then so just made up a a fucking um, lollipop relationship and in his head and then wrote that into a book and lived that fantasy through him. Because the writer of this book was probably that freak who was smashing a tambourine against the side of his head, Aspie fuck. And then he has no idea how people really react because he's a fucking sociopath. So he just writes these one-dimensional fantasy characters and, uh, and, and then exploits people's emotions for money and thinks that there's nothing wrong with that. I'm, this person should be locked up. This shit's deranged. I'm looking at the, I'm looking at the, uh, at the uh, author. He looks like such a Greenwich fucking um upper class kind of guy you know he's just got his glasses he just looks like such a a tosser you know pro- he's probably a really nice guy but no nah, he's probably a piece of shit probably sits at the top of some building in new york and sips on a tiny little cup of coffee that costs 11 dollars and has his laptop out and and then and then says things to people like Oh, just give me a cup of coffee and a, and a blank notepad, and I'm in heaven. I love writing. It's like you fucking suck. Mm, I, <laughs> he um his his wife divorced him after he publicly declared his love for Natalie Portman, who did not reciprocate his feelings. <laughs> what? 
<laughs> oh my god, that made me cough from laughter. Oh, uh, uh, okay. Let's leave this poor gentleman alone. Um, he's had a hard one, I guess. You know. <laughs> um. So, uh, I feel like I, I've I've really expressed everything I can for extremely loud and, and incredibly pretentious. Um. Mm. So, uh, for the two films we've watched, and you seem to agree with me last week, how many uh, farts um, would you give both The Artist and Extremely Loud and Incredibly Close? Six out of ten for The Artist. Six out of ten farts? Yeah. Yep. Six farts. Six farts. What about uh, Extremely Loud and Incredibly Close? Uh, zero. Can you give zero? No, you have to have at least a little wet fart. There has to be one. One fart. Fine. One. One little dribbly shitty fart for extremely loud and incredibly close. Yeah. Um, I'd, I'd, I'd be very similar. I'd give it... I'd give two to um, two farts to extremely loud and incredibly close. For all its story issues and a lot of things like that, it's not a disgustingly ugly film. So I have to give it that kind, that credit. Um, yeah, but it's so easy to make things look good when you're shooting in New York. Yeah, fair. Well, they don't even shoot anything well. Yeah, I don't know. I, I, I'll, I, I gotta, I, I can't. I don't know. I just like the t- the ten farts. I can't throw a one, just on any piece of piece of shit. Um, this is this is it's aggress it's it's aggressively, um, uh, emotionally manipulative and pretentious. But it's not complete and utter hot garbage, you know. So I'll, I'll go two. Um, as for the artist, I'd give it five, five farts out of ten. Mm. Um, I don't know. I just didn't. It's 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 such. It's a lucky film. It got lucky. It didn't really deserve anything that it got. I think maybe actually, you know what? Maybe the best actor award that it got. Maybe it earned that one. Um, but yeah. Um, so, uh, what do we? Uh, what have you got in store for us next week, Dan? We're we're gonna watch Donnie Darko and Southland Tales. Richard Kelly, huh? Yeah, yeah. It's uh, he's only done he's only done three movies, and it's quite easy to to tell uh, which are his best and his worst. When's the When's the last time you watched Donnie Darko? It's been a while. Been a while. Uh, yeah, it's gonna been quite a long time. Yeah, it's uh. Uh, very interesting to see what you what you think of it, you know this <laughs> uh, after after so long. Anyway, thanks everyone for listening. This has been the Movie Buds podcast. I'm Arnie Joe. I'm Dane. You're gonna make me do that twice. Yeah, I know. I'm gonna make you do it. I, I almost tried to make you do it three times, but you know. <laughs> <laughs> bye <Bye-bye>. bye. <laughs> bye.